The Word of God, the Holy Bible, is a treasure and a gift beyond compare. Every passage of it points to a marvelous truth that God's love for man impelled him to step out of eternity and unite with his creation in order to redeem him from sin. Jesus Christ is both the author and subject of this precious word. Join us at the Superior Word each week as we search out this wonderful gift in search of Christ Jesus. Psalm 115, not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but to your name give glory, because of your mercy, because of your truth. Why should the Gentiles say, so where is their God? But our God is in heaven. He does whatever he pleases. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of men's hands. They have mouths, but they do not speak. Eyes they have, but they do not see. They have ears, but they do not hear. Noses they have, but they do not smell. They have hands, but they do not handle. Feet they have, but they do not walk. Nor do they mutter through their throat. Those who make them are like them. So is everyone who trusts in them. O Israel, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. You who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. The Lord has been mindful of us. He will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless those who fear the Lord, both small and great. May the Lord give you increase more and more, you and your children. May you be pleased by the Lord who made heaven and earth. The heaven, even the heavens are the Lord's, but the earth he has given to the children of men. The dead do not praise the Lord, nor any who go down into silence. But we will bless the Lord from this time forth and forever. Praise the Lord. All right, we got uh, Judges 1, 16 through 26 today. This is entitled, So the Lord Was with Judah. Now the children of the Kenite, Moses' father-in-law, went up from the city of Palms with the children of Judah into the wilderness of Judah, which lies in the south near Arad. And they went and dwelt among the people. And Judah went with his brother Simeon, and they attacked the Canaanites who inhabited Zephath and utterly destroyed it. So the name of the city was called Hormah. Also Judah took Gaza with its territory, Ashkelon with its territory, and Ekron with its territory. So the Lord was with Judah. And they drove out the mountaineers, but they could not drive out the inhabitants of the lowland because they had chariots of iron. And they gave Hebron to Caleb, as Moses had said. Then he expelled from there the three sons of Anak. But the children of Benjamin did not drive out the Jebusites who inhabited Jerusalem. So the Jebusites dwelt with the children of Benjamin in Jerusalem to this day. And the house of Joseph also went up against Bethel, and the Lord was with them. So the house of Joseph sent men to spy out Bethel. The name of the city was formerly Lutz. And when the spies saw a man coming out of the city, they said to him, Please show us the entrance to the city, and we will show you mercy. So he showed them the entrance to the city, and they struck the city with the edge of the sword, but they let the man and all his family go. And the man went to the land of the Hittites, built a city, and called its name Lutz, which is its name to this day. Despite the sermon title, there is more than just Judah referred to in today's passage. The story of the Kenite is brought again into the biblical narrative, and Simeon, who hasn't been seen since early in the chapter, is brought back into focus. An account from the time during the wilderness wanderings is mentioned as well. These and many other details are introduced and then quickly resolved before another short account is highlighted. Each has its own historical reference, and each also develops into a typological picture of other things. As for who compiled all these things, that was discussed in the introduction to the book of Judges. It is worth citing two contradictory thoughts that were expressed by scholars in regard to the words of verse 21, which will be expounded upon today. First from Cambridge, in Jerusalem unto this day. There were no Israelites in Jerusalem at the time of the Levites' visit, Judges 19.12. The writer's day was after the capture of the city by David, 2 Samuel 5, 6 through 8, who spared the old inhabitants. They and the newcomers continued to live side by side. 
Adam Clark says, unto this day. They're evaluating those words. As the Jebusites dwelt in Jerusalem till the days of David, by whom they were driven out, and the author of the book of Judges states them to have been in possession of Jerusalem when he wrote, therefore this book was written before the reign of David. Our text first comes from Isaiah 66. It is verse 2. For all those things my hand has made, and all those things exist, says the Lord. But on this one I will look, on him who is poor and of a contrite spirit, and who trembles at my word. Cambridge concluded that these accounts were compiled after the time of David. Their reason is a fallacy known as an argument from silence. Nothing is said of this, and so it proves that such a thing never happened. On the other hand, Adam Clark logically identifies what must be the case. It had to be compiled prior to David because David is the one to have driven out the Jebusites. The reason Cambridge took the position that the account was compiled after David is evident from many of their other comments about this chapter. Whoever did this portion of their commentary doesn't trust the biblical narrative, finds error in what is presented, picks the word apart as if he is able to know what was on the mind of the author, and so on. This person does not tremble at the word of God. Rather, he thinks he can improve upon it. As we go through the verses today, consider that. I personally found nothing off with what is presented in the passage. It is logical, orderly, and insightful into other doctrines that are found in Scripture. Have care when you consider the word. It is not something to be taken lightly, but should be handled with the utmost respect. It is, after all, God's superior word. And so let us turn to that precious word once again, and may God speak to us through his word today, and may his glorious name ever be praised. Our first thought today is he showed them the entrance to the city. It's verses 16 through 26. Now the children of the Kenite, Moses' father-in-law, Ubene Keni Choten Moshe, and sons Kenite, in-law Moses. The words of this verse are complicated, and the commentaries go on extensively. As for the name Kenite, it is a patronym derived from Cain or Cain. That name is derived from Kana, meaning to acquire. Remember when Cain was born, his mother said, I have acquired a son through the Lord. However, it is also etymologically connected to Cain, a spear. To further complicate things, Jones's dictionary takes the meaning from Numbers 24, verse 21, tying it into the word ken or nest. Thus, various names can be considered, acquire, people of the spear, nestling, and so on. As for the seemingly contradictory words, Moses' father-in-law, they seem at odds with other verses already seen where the name Jethro or Reuel or Raguel, if you have one version that mistranslates it, and Hobab are all said to be his father-in-law. Long lists and commentaries are set forth to explain these names and their connection to Moses. The most reasonable explanation is that the noun chatan does not mean father-in-law. It comes from the verb chatan, which signifies being a relative by marriage. Thus, the thought extends to any joining in affinity. Therefore, it could be that the term father-in-law is too specific, and it may simply mean Moses' in-law. That is not the point of this explanation. It is just provided for whoever is curious as to the seemingly contradictory English translation. And we're going to see this Heber the Kenite coming up in another judge's sermon not too long from now. Regardless of these things, the line of the Kenites has been famous and will remain so throughout all of the Old Testament. They will be seen as late as 1 Chronicles 2 verse 55, where they are noted as the clan of the Rechavite. That family is noted in Jeremiah 35, where they are greatly honored by the Lord for their exemplary conduct and way of life. Of this group, it says they, verse 16 continues, went up from the city of Palms. The verb is plural, alu meir hatmarim, ascended, plural, from city, the Palms. In other words, the clans that were living in this area went up from there together. As for the city of the Palms, this is noted as Jericho in Deuteronomy 34, verse 3. 
as Jericho was destroyed and cursed in Joshua 6, it would explain why it is not called Jericho. The name was blotted out. However, the Kenites continued to live in the area being troglodytes, meaning cave dwellers. There are innumerable caves in the surrounding area where they could have dwelt. I've been there and you can see them all over the place. Concerning the Tamar or Palm, it is a symbol of uprightness. Thus, the city could be identified as the city of upright ones. As for the Kenites going up, it was, verse 16 continues, with the children of Judah into the wilderness of Judah. At Bene Yehuda Midbar Yehuda, with sons Judah, wilderness Judah. Judah means praise. The wilderness here doesn't mean a complete wasteland or a barren desert, but rather an uncultivated area. It is the area mentioned in the Gospels, where John baptized and where Jesus went during his time of temptation. In the Bible, the wilderness is a place of God's grace and of closeness to him, but it is also a place of testing. For some, such as Israel, the testing resulted in disobedience. Remember that? For others, such as Christ, when he was tested, it is a place of fellowship through obedience. The wilderness and the law are very closely connected because it is by law that testing is accomplished. This is seen in the word itself, midbar. It is derived from the verb davar, meaning to speak, and the noun davar, meaning word. The Lord spoke the Ten Commandments, the words, the Devarim, in the desert, the Midbar of Sinai. Thinking on these things, one can see the connection between Jesus, the Word of God, and his testing in the wilderness as well. Little details point to great pictures that are being developed. As for the account now, they went into the wilderness, verse 16 continues, which lies in the south near Arad. Asher be Negev Arad, which in Negev Arad. The area of the king of Arad was noted as being defeated by Israel in Joshua 12, verse 14. However, the king of Arad is also noted in Numbers 21, verse 1, and Numbers 33, verse 40. To really understand what is going on, you would have to go back and watch that sermon from Numbers 21. The Negev, or south, comes from a root signifying parched. The name Arad comes from the verb Arad, meaning to flee or to be free. Thus, it means something like fugitive or freed one. Abarim also gives a meaning of wild ass. The mentioning of the Kenites now is to help set forth a basis for understanding later events in Scripture. How did the Kenites wind up where they are? Why were they noted at this particular time and among this people group? And so on. For example, the next words are necessary to understand events coming at the time of Saul. Verse 16 continues, and they went and dwelt among the people. It is now singular. Vayelech vayashev et ha'am, and went singular, and dwelt singular with the people. The reason for the change is because it is now speaking of the Kenite as a single entity. If you go back, it said, now the sons of the Kenite went up, plural, and here, and went, dwelt, singular, the Kenite. The people being mentioned here may be referring to Judah, but more likely it is referring to the Amalekites. The Kenites left the city of Palms and dwelt in this area where the Amalekites were. Thus, this explains what occurs in 1 Samuel chapter 15. There it says, Then Saul said to the Kenites, Go, depart, and get down from among the Amalekites, lest I destroy you with them. For you showed kindness to all the children of Israel when they came up out of Egypt. So the Kenites departed from among the Amalekites. The reason for all of this is to confirm the promise of Moses to this people as they departed from Sinai all the way back in Numbers 10. There it said, Now Moses said to Hobab, the son of Reuel the Midianite, Moses' father-in-law, We are setting out for the place of which the Lord said, I will give it to you. Come with us and we will treat you well, for the Lord has promised good things to Israel. And he said to him, I will not go, but I will depart to my own land and to my relatives. So Moses said, please do not leave, inasmuch as you know how we are to camp in the wilderness, and you can be our eyes. Then it shall be, if you go with us, indeed it shall be, that whatever good the Lord will do to us, the same we will do to you. With this matter settled, the account next says, verse 17, and Judah went with his brother Simeon. This is in accord with the words of verse 1-3. So Judah said to Simeon, his brother, 
come up with me to my allotted territory that we may fight against the Canaanites and I will likewise go with you to your allotted territory. Simeon means he who hears. Verse 17 continues, and they attacked the Canaanites who inhabited Zephat and utterly destroyed it. Rather, it says, and struck the Canaanite inhabiting Zephat and anathematized her. Zephat comes from Safa, to look out, to spy, or to keep watch. Thus it means watchtower. However, Abarim also provides a meaning of covering. Canaanite means humbled, humiliated, or subdued. This is the fulfillment of a vow made back in Numbers 21. The king of Arad, the Canaanite, who dwelt in the south, heard that Israel was coming on the road to Atharim. Then he fought against Israel and took some of them prisoners. So Israel made a vow to the Lord and said, If you will indeed deliver this people into my hand, then I will utterly destroy their cities. And the Lord listened to the voice of Israel and delivered up the Canaanites, and they utterly destroyed them and their cities. So the name of that place was called Hormah. That actually did not occur in Numbers 21. It was looking forward to it occurring now in the narrative. Verse 17 continues. So the name of the city was called Hormah. It is singular and thus personal. Vayikra et shem ha'er charemah. And called singular, name the city Hormah. The meaning is that Israel called the name of the city Hormah, meaning devoted, dedicated, or anathema. In Numbers 21, verse 2, it can also mean asylum based on the context. Israel, the people, made the vow. When the vow was accomplished, Israel, the people, gave the name according to the vow. Verse 18, also Judah took Gaza with its territory, Ashkelon with its territory, and Ekron with its territory. As cities are feminine, it more closely reads, and took Judah, Gaza, and her territory, and Ashkelon, and her territory, and Ekron, and her territory. Interestingly, the Greek translation reads just the opposite, saying they did not take these cities and the surrounding area. That would seem to correspond to what is said in the next verse, Judges 3.3, and elsewhere. However, it could be that they took it, but that they did not keep it, or they placed the inhabitants under tribute. Either way, the naming of the cities is the main focus. Aza means strong. Ashkelon comes from shakal, to weigh, as in weighing money, hence it is the market. Ekron comes from akar, to pluck up or to uproot, but that is from the same as eker, meaning an offshoot or a descendant. Hence, the name could mean offshoot or uprooted. Verse 19, so the Lord was with Judah. Vehi Yehovah et Yehuda, and was Yehovah with Judah. The meaning is based on what was just said and with what follows. The Lord was with them, verse 19 continues, and they drove out the mountaineers. Rather than they, it is singular. Vayoresh et hahar, and dispossessed, meaning singular, Judah, the mountain. The word Yarash means both to possess and to dispossess. As the mountainous area was occupied, they dispossessed it and then they possessed it. As has been seen previously, a mountain or har is a lot of something gathered up. It is synonymous with a large but centralized group of people. As for the rest of the area of Judah, verse 19 continues, but they could not drive out the inhabitants of the lowland. The words do not say could not, which would be the word yaklu. Rather, they are carefully constructed to avoid any such notion. It says, Kilo lehorish et yoshve ha emek, for no to dispossess inhabitants the valley. The Lord was with them, but they were not with the Lord. They lacked faith in his presence. Verse 19 continues, because they had chariots of iron. It is singular. Ki rechev barzel lachem, for chariot iron to them. This was the complaint of the children of Joseph back in Joshua 17. They claimed that they could not drive out the inhabitants because those people had the iron chariot. Joshua, however, said that despite having such, they were able to drive them out. As for typology, iron represents strength, be it in binding together, in government, in hard service, or in bondage. In the immediate context, it is the faithlessness of the people not the presence of the Lord that caused the failure to dispossess the lowland. 
As for the mountain country, verse 20, and they gave Hebron to Kalev, as Moses had said. Rather than said, the Hebrew says, spoke. Moses directed it to be so. Judah complied with the spoken word. This was recorded in Numbers 14 as words from the Lord. It was repeated by Moses in Deuteronomy 1, saying that Moses spoke when it was the Lord who spoke. Once again, it reveals the process of divine inspiration. Here's what it says, Numbers 14. But my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit in him and has followed me fully, I will bring into the land where he went and his descendants shall inherit it. As for the names, Hebron means alliance, Caleb means dog, Moses means he who draws out. In giving Hebron to Caleb, it then notes, verse 20 continues, then he expelled from there the three sons of Anak. Rather than then, it simply says, and. This is not happening now. Rather, it has already taken place. Also, it reads, three sons, the Anak. In other words, these are the people of Anak, just as we would say the 12 sons of Israel, even if they are long dead. It is those who descended from these three sons of the Anak that are being referred to. The recording of this is, again, not superfluous. Rather, even if Caleb had previously driven out these people, he couldn't truly possess it if Judah didn't fully possess the land where Hebron was located. A process is being developed from beginning to end. Each step is methodically recorded and repeated as needed. Anak means long neck or necklace, coming from the word anak, which means being fitted out with supplies and thus furnished liberally, just as a necklace is generally made up of many pieces. They were a clan known for their unusually long or thick necks or the adornments worn on their necks. Next, verse 21. But the children of Benjamin did not drive out the Jebusites who inhabited Jerusalem. It is singular, referring to the people as a whole. And the Jebusite inhabiting Jerusalem no did dispossess sons Benjamin. A similar statement is made back in Joshua 15. There it said, as for the Jebusites, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the children of Judah could not drive them out, but the Jebusites dwelt with the children of Judah at Jerusalem to this day. The difference between the two is evident from a literal translation of both verses. Judah, not able, sons Judah to dispossess. Benjamin, not did dispossess the sons of Benjamin. Jerusalem was a border city, partly belonging to both Judah and Benjamin. There was a stronghold on Benjamin's side of the border. Thus, Judah could not drive them out. Benjamin, however, was content to simply not drive them out. Benjamin means son of the right hand. Jebusite means treading down or trodden underfoot. This verse foreshadows the importance of the city, being so markedly noted as the first thing mentioned in Judges concerning Benjamin. That continues with verse 21 going on. So the Jebusites dwell with the children of Benjamin in Jerusalem to this day. It is again singular. And dwells the Jebusite with sons Benjamin in Jerusalem unto the day the this. This is a confirmation that this was not a later addition after the time of the kings, when this could not have been a true statement. It was accomplished at the time of David, so much for Cambridge's uninsightful commentary. It is true that even after David conquered Jerusalem in 2 Samuel 5, Jebusites continued to live there. This is attested to in 2 Samuel 24, but that is not what this is referring to. Rather, it is speaking about the unconquered city. Next, verse 22, and the house of Joseph also went up against Bethel, and the Lord was with them. Va'ya'alu bet Yosef gam hem bet el ve'yehovah imam, and ascended house Joseph, also they, Bethel, and Yehovah with them. The words also they are in relation to Judah's ascending to battle earlier in the chapter. What happens here is given to contrast the sons of Benjamin and the house of Joseph. The house of Joseph is inclusive of Ephraim and Manasseh. Geographically, the tribes of Judah and Simeon are in the southern area of Canaan. Then the narrative moved northward to the central area. Bethel means house of God. Joseph means both he shall add and take away. Bethel is a border city between Benjamin and the house of Joseph. 
as an inheritance that was placed within the borders of Benjamin. However, being a border city, verse 23, so the house of Joseph sent men to spy out Bethel. And spied house Joseph in Bethel. Nothing was said of this with Benjamin in Jerusalem. The house of Joseph is taking advantage of the situation to gain the city. With that noted, next comes a phrase seen elsewhere. Verse 23 continues, the name of the city was formerly Lutz. This is noted at other times, but it is then also noted that Lutz is separate from Bethel. It was seen in Joshua 16.2 and again in Joshua 18.13. It is a city near to, but separate from Bethel. However, the one name is assigned to both at times. Lutz means almond, but it comes from the verb Lutz, meaning to turn aside, often in a negative way. Hence, it can mean departure, but also twisted or perverse. Bethel means house of God. Verse 24, and when the spies saw a man coming out of the city, they said to him, please show us the entrance to the city and we will show you mercy. More precisely, it says, and saw the watchers man coming from the city. And they said to him, show, we pray, entrance the city and we have made with you mercy. This is actually a violation of the law. It says in Deuteronomy 7, when the Lord your God brings you into the land which you go to possess and has cast out many nations before you, the Hittites and the Girgashites and the Amorites and the Canaanites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites, seven nations greater and mightier than you. And when the Lord your God delivers them over to you, you shall conquer them and utterly destroy them. You shall make no covenant with them nor show mercy to them. So they have violated the law of Moses in doing what they have done. Despite their wrongdoing in relation to the law, they were able to glean the information they needed. Verse 25, so he showed them the entrance to the city. There was obviously a hidden entrance along a hill line within a cave or in some other location. For instance, the Persians were able to take the city of Sardis by discovering a path used by a soldier who had dropped his helmet. He went out of the fortress to pick it up and the entrance was made known. With the necessary information made known, it next says, verse 25 continues, and they struck the city with the edge of the sword. Vayaku et ha'er lepicharev and struck the city to mouth sword. As always, the sword is depicted as a devouring instrument where its edge is considered a mouth that consumes the souls that it meets in battle. Verse 25 continues, but they let the man and all his family go. And the man and all his family, they sent away. Like Rahav, despite not perfectly upholding the law and making an agreement to show mercy, they upheld their promise to the man. Verse 26, and the man went to the land of the Hittites. It is unknown where this actually is. There remained Hittites in Israel long after this. Uriah, the husband of Bathsheba, was a Hittite. However, it does note this in 1 Kings 10 verse 29. Now a chariot that was imported from Egypt cost 600 shekels of silver and a horse 150. And thus, through their agents, they exported them to all the kings of the Hittites and the kings of Syria. Noting that things were exported means that it was outside of the land of Canaan. It is believed by many that the land of the Hittites was north of Canaan. Hittite means terror, terrible, or fearsome. Wherever this location was, verse 26 finishes with, he built a city and called its name Lutz, which is its name to this day. And built city and called her Lutz, it her name unto the day, the this. Without anything biblical to go on, Charles Ellicott notes, the Talmud says that this Lutz was famous for its purple dye. And partly on this account, Thompson identifies it with Kolb Luzi. You can see this nearness of the name, Lutz and Luzi, not far from Antioch. It was not uncommon in ancient days for the fugitives from a city to build another city elsewhere of the same name. Each foe will be defeated throughout the land. We shall prevail over all who stand against us. This is the result of the power 
of God's right hand. Yes, it shall all be accomplished by the Lord Jesus. Those who stand against us are defeated. All who stand contrary to us will be no more. Their source of power shall be unseated. The Lord alone shall reign forevermore. Jesus has gained the victory. In him, the battle is won for us. Look at his deeds. Open your eyes and see. Look at the glorious work of our Lord Jesus. Our second thought today is pictures of Christ. The first two sermons in Judges 1 dealt with, one, the matter of Adonai Bezek, who was defeated, and then two, the subduing of foes within Judah and the taking of Kiriath Sefer. The victor over Kiriath Sefer was given Achsa as his wife. The typology was explained for each. There was the bringing together of the people groups of the world through the gospel in the first account. In the second, the completed work of Christ was seen to go from Jewish believers to Gentile believers. The passage today follows along that same general theme. It began with the sudden introduction of the children of the Kenite, Moses Chatan, or in-law. Despite being related to Moses, the Kenite is a Gentile group. Of them, it says they went from the city of the Palms, or figuratively, city of the upright ones, with the sons of Judah, meaning praise, into the wilderness of Judah, a place of testing, but also of God's grace and closeness to him. That was then said to be in Negev Arad. The Negev signifies the parched world that needs the water of the word. That was said to be near Arad, fugitive or freed one. There it said they dwelt among the people. The account speaks of those Gentiles who have acquired, meaning Kenite, salvation through Christ, the fulfillment of the law, pictured by Moses. They are united to him by affinity through his imputed righteousness. As already seen in Judges, a city is generally reflective of man deciding his own fate, independent of God. However, we saw this last week, a city can also be a place of fellowship with God once again, as is seen in the New Jerusalem, whose builder and maker is God. In this case, they go up from the city of Palms or city of the upright ones. Thus, it refers to those who belong to the city of God. They went with the children of Judah, meaning praise. Christ is the praise of God into the wilderness of praise. It signifies those who are in a close relationship with God in his grace, even if it is in a life of testing. Noting they were in the Negev, Arad is a way of saying they are in the parched Negev world, despite being freed ones, Arad. It is the state of believers in the world today. With that, the section ended with, and went, singular, and dwelt, singular, with the people. The Kenite. The Gentile who has acquired salvation has gone into the parched world and dwelt among the people for 2,000 years. At the same time, the Jews have remained separate from the peoples even while they have been exiled among them. The passage gives a snapshot of the church age. From there, Judah and Simeon are noted again as in verse 3. It's said that together they struck the Canaanites, meaning humiliated, who inhabited Zaphat, meaning watchtower. With that, it says the city was called Horma, meaning anathema. Galatians 2 shows the typology directly. He is a Jew, meaning praise, Romans 2.29, writing to believers, he who hears about those who stand against the faith represented by the Canaanites, humbled because of rejecting Christ. The Zaphat, watchtower, comes from Zafa, meaning to look out, to spy, etc. This is what the Jews of Galatians chapter 2 were doing. Let me read this to you. Think of what we just saw. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, a Jew, and also took Titus, a Gentile, with me. And I went up by revelation and communicated to them the gospel which I preach among the Gentiles but privately to those who were of reputation, lest by any means I might run or had run in vain. Yet not even Titus, who was with me, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. And this occurred because of false brethren, think of Canaan, the humiliated, secretly brought in, who came in by stealth to spy out, Safa, our liberty, 
which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage, to whom we did not yield submission for even an hour, that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. It would be difficult to write a single paragraph that could more perfectly fit the typology just presented. The note that they called Zafat Horma Anathema could also not be more exactingly described by Paul as he opened the epistle. Here's what he says in Galatians 1. I wonder that ye are so quickly removed from him who did call you in the grace of Christ to another good news. That is not another, except there be certain who are troubling you and wishing to pervert the good news of the Christ. But even if we or a messenger out of heaven may proclaim good news to you different from what we did proclaim to you, anathema, let him be. As we have said before, and now say again, if anyone to you may proclaim good news different from what ye did receive, anathema, think of horma, let him be. That's Young's literal translation. That section ended with the note that Judah took Gaza, meaning strong, Ashkelon, meaning market, and Ekron, meaning offshoot or uprooted, along with their territories. Three separate notes of doctrine in the naming of those cities are intended. First, Gaza, from 1 Corinthians 10. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, Gaza, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ, and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. And then next, Ashkelon. This is from 2 Corinthians 2. For we are not as so many peddling, think of marketing, market, Ashkelon, the word of God, but as of sincerity, but as from God, we speak in the sight of God in Christ. And finally, from Jude chapter 1, it says, These are spots in your love feasts, while they feast with you without fear, serving only themselves. They are clouds without water, carried about by the winds, laid autumn trees without fruit, twice dead, pulled up by the roots, uprooted, ekron, raging waves of the sea, foaming up their own shame, wandering stars for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. Verse 19 said that the Lord was with Judah, that they drove out the mountain, and that they did not drive out those in the valley, without any particular keywords to help pinpoint the meaning. And simply by going by how the church normally operates, I would surmise this is referring to the church being its own entity where the masses of people, the mountain, are identified as believers, but that it is still filled with corrupt people, meaning the emek or depth who also fill it. Typologically, it fits because it is a truth seen in the church throughout the ages, but that's just speculation on my part. The next short section again dealt with Caleb, dog, and thus representing Gentiles. This time it notes that he was given Hebron, meaning alliance, as Moses prophesied back in Deuteronomy 32. Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people, alliance, for he will avenge the blood of his servants and render vengeance to his adversaries. He will provide atonement for his land and his people. He is said to have expelled the sons of Anak, from Anak meaning being fitted out with supplies. Despite having all the resources of the world at their disposal during the Gentile-led church age, those who oppose God's purposes cannot prevail and they will be removed. From there, it next mentioned the sons of Benjamin, meaning son of the right hand, not driving out the Jebusites, meaning treading down in Jerusalem, which is the foundation of peace. Again, I have to admit speculation here, but it appears to be speaking of believers not overtaking the Jews who are opposed to the gospel during the church age. They're not going to be all converted. That is only something that will occur after the rapture of the church. It fits the typology, but without more specific keywords to definitively say otherwise, it's speculation on my part, okay? The words ended, so the Jebusites dwell with the children of Benjamin in Jerusalem to this day. This confirms the state of the world today, absolutely. The last five verses gave the details concerning the house of Joseph, he shall add and take away, going up against Bethel, meaning the house of God, which was formerly called Lutz 
meaning departure, often with a negative connotation, as in twisted or perverse. Rather than saying the children of Joseph, it mentions the house. It is the collective church being identified here. In spying out the city, a person is seen leaving it and is told by the spies that they would make mercy with him if he would tell them how to gain access. He did, and they took the city, striking it with the mouth of the sword. From there, he left and went to the land of the Hittites, meaning terror, and built a new city named Lutz. The picture reveals the process, believe it or not, of obtaining salvation. Those who are in the church are brought in through faith in Jesus, pictured by the house of Joseph. He shall add both Jew and Gentile and take away, that's the other meaning of Joseph, their reproach. They were once in a fallen state, Lutz, but through the word, they are given access to the house of God, Bethel. And that was done through the mouth of the sword. As seen in numerous sermons, sword and Horeb, the law, are identical in the Hebrew. It's the same word. The imputation of Christ's prevailing over the law is what removes the believer's reproach and adds them to the house of God. But some never come to the Lord and return to Lutz. It says in 1 Timothy 4, now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times, some will depart, Lutz, from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry, and commanding to abstain from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. Think of the Hebrew Roots Movement right now. These people do not know salvation through faith alone in Christ. They're trying to work their way to heaven. This is who it's speaking about. For every creature of God is good, and nothing is to be refused if it is received with thanksgiving. For it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. Now, before I go on, I'll qualify that, and I'll say that there are some people that were saved and have gone off to Hebrew Roots churches. They're not going to lose their salvation, but they're spending the rest of their life in a state of not being pleasing to God. Why would you do that? The context of Paul's words is not the end of the church age, but the entire church age, reflected in the words, latter times. Unlike Rahav, the person in this story chose the world of terror, the Hittite, apart from Christ, rather than uniting with his people. Paul's words exactingly describe the situation. So far, the first chapter of Judges has been one that has carefully matched details that are later to be found in Christ, in his people, and in the state of the church. We will continue the chapter next week, the Lord willing, and see what is presented there. Using Israel and their conquests, the Lord is telling us a story through types and pictures of what he would do in the world. Seeing these things and seeing how carefully they match the overall redemptive narrative in Scripture, I would hope and I would even beg that you would take the time to read the Bible each day. Learn the doctrines found in the New Testament. If they are hinted at in type in the old, it should assure you that he expects you to know them from the new. This is the sacred charge that is set before you. Take hold of it, learn it, and apply it to your life from day to day. Think of the presentations we've seen. From the time of the law, we are given hints of the ineffectiveness of the law to save. God is asking us to trust in his grace as has been presented to us in the giving of his son. And then we are asked to live in that grace in a manner becoming of his people. Let us do this to his glory. Amen. Jim rightly opened us today with the thoughts that our friend, he took these two and wisely united them into one sentence. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus by reading your Bible. If you read your Bible, you can fix your eyes on Jesus. But if you don't know your Bible, who are you focusing on? You don't know if the church you're teaching is teaching the right Jesus or not. There's no way to know unless you personally are reading your Bible. For all you know, if you don't know your Bible well enough, I could be sitting here right now making stuff up. Maybe you're supposed to be in one of those Hebrew roots churches. Maybe you're not supposed to be eating pork. I could be making all of this up, and you have no reason to not believe me because you have no basis in your knowledge of Scripture. It's incumbent on you. I could die tomorrow. I think this every day. I could die tomorrow, and if there's not somebody to replace me... 
this church isn't going anywhere, right? And you'll have a, well, I don't want a memorial ceremony. I just want to be buried. And Charlie was here once. That's all I need. But anyway, you're going to go off somewhere if that happens. And you're going to be given doctrine by somebody. And if you're trusting in me, it's a very shallow hope. You need to trust in the word because the next church you go to, you don't know what's coming. You just don't know. Please know your Bible, okay? I said that, and I shouldn't have done that because my wife probably wants to have a big party when I die or something, so <laughs> whatever. Actually, I'm not planning on dying until the rapture. If that means I have to live to be 969 years old, I'm going to do it. But we'll see. We all we all don't know our date of destiny. And, uh, you know, I was typing my commentary this morning, and that was one of the points I made is you just you don't know. You have no idea when you're going to be departing from this world. And so you got to be ready every single day of your life to meet Jesus. And there's only one way that you are going to meet him with a smile on his face. And that is by receiving him now, by believing that what he did is sufficient for you. Okay. If you believe that you will be saved and you'll be going off to glory in a place that is a lot better than here. Okay. So hold fast to that. Hold fast to that. Our closing verse comes from 1 Timothy, it's chapter 4, verse 6. If you instruct the brethren in these things, you will be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished in the words of faith and of the good doctrine which you have carefully followed. I mean, we saw at least three verses of doctrine. Doctrine, solid doctrine right out of these verses today by simply picking out names of cities. God is telling us a story. Doctrine. You can't know the doctrine if you don't know the Bible. All you know is what somebody is telling you, and they may not be telling you the truth. Next week is Judges 21, 27 through 36. The Word is giving us valuable insights. It's entitled, The Boundary of the Amorites. That'll be our, I didn't put which one, I think it'll be our fourth Judges sermon. The Lord has you exactly where He wants you. He has a good plan and a purpose for you. It is he who judges his people according to their deeds. So follow him, live for him, and trust him. And he will do marvelous things for you and through you, okay? Now, I have a question for you. And um, this one is very easy. It really is. I uh, did this on purpose. And I think next week's is easy too because my uh, maybe it's hard. Uh, it might be hard next week. My friend sent me one this morning and now I forgot what he sent. And I said, oh, that's good. I'll use that for next week. So uh, this one will be easy. Somebody will get it. And I'm going to give you today a Hot Wheels Corvette Grand Sport Roadster. This is sweet. If you got a grandchild, great. If not, and you were a kid at heart, you'll love this. Okay. And it's already filled up so you can take it and drive it home. Okay. Get ready. And if you know, please raise your hand because I know two people that are going to get this, at least. In what book and chapter is a new covenant prophesied? Hey, you got it. She beat you. I, I knew two people were going to raise their hands, and I knew which two. You're going to be driving a Corvette home today. There we go. Okay. That was very good. That hand went up so fast it almost broke. I thought it would fly off of her body. So don't worry, you got it too. I knew you'd get it, but boy, the hand went up fast. Okay, I got a poem for you and then we'll be done and we'll take the Lord's Supper. This is entitled, So the Lord Was With Judah. Now the children of the Kenite, Moses' father-in-law, up from the city of Palms with the children of Judah went into the wilderness of Judah, which lies in the south near Arad, and they dwelt among the people. That's where their time was spent. And Judah went with his brother Simeon. And they attacked the Canaanites who inhabited Zephat, Urah, and utterly destroyed it. So the name of the city was called Hormah. Also, Judah took Gaza with its territory, Ashkelon with its territory too, and Ekron with its territory, lots of territory for the taking, it's true. So the Lord was with Judah, and they drove the mountaineers out, but they could not drive out the inhabitants of the lowland, because they had chariots of iron, strong and stout. And they gave Hebron to Caleb, as Moses had said. Then from there, the three sons of Anak, he expelled Ed. But the children of Benjamin did not drive out the Jebusites who inhabited Jerusalem, sad to say. So the Jebusites dwelt with the children of Benjamin in Jerusalem to this day. 
And the house of Joseph also went up against Bethel, and the Lord was with them, quite obviously. So the house of Joseph sent men to spy out Bethel. The name of the city was Lutz, formerly. And when the spies saw a man coming out of the city, they said to him, maybe his name was Percy, please show us the entrance to the city and we will show you mercy. So he showed them the entrance to the city and they struck the city with the edge of the sword, but they let the man and all his family go. His life was his reward. And the man went to the land of the Hittites, built a city to stay and called its name Lutz, which is its name to this day. Lord God, turn our hearts to be obedient to your word. Give us wisdom to be ever faithful to you. May we carefully heed each thing we have heard. Yes, Lord God, may our hearts be faithful and true. And we shall be content and satisfied in you alone. We will follow you as we sing our songs of praise. Hallelujah to you, to us your path you have shown. Hallelujah, we shall sing to you for all of our days. Hallelujah and amen. Now listen, one thing I forgot to say is that these cars came from uh, Joe and Lisa Elfers. They sent it and they said they wanted them to go out to you for a, a question prize. And so you can say a prayer of thanks to them for their kindness to us. They gave us a couple of uh, cars and uh, let's see, we got uh, Pagini Zonda R. Oh man, that sounds fast. And this one is a um, Matt and Debbie Hayes 1988 Pro Sport Street Thunderbird. We got a couple of really charged cars there, so get ready. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the chance to come in your presence and to hear your word and to search it out and to see the, the absolutely marvelous things that keep coming out of it week after week that continue to fit in the typology right from chapter 1, verse 1, continuing on through this sermon, it all fits. It's making a picture for us to see what is going on in the future in your church. And we're so thankful for that, Lord. We thank you that we can know, we can have absolute surety that our doctrine matches what you've already told us in the past. And when it doesn't, we should amend our doctrine and get straight with you. Thank you, Lord, for the kind people that always send things to pass on to other people so that they can be challenged to read their Bible every day. Lord, it's so important for us to get into your word and to contemplate it and to think on it and to study it. Thank you for your precious word. Thank you for Jesus, our Lord, who went to the cross to remove our sin debt. Yes, thank you for the blood that was shed. Thank you for Jesus. Amen. I have another friend that um, he um, uh, emailed me yesterday. He's typing Bible Typer through the Bible his third time now. He's already done it twice, and he's doing a different translation each time. And he's always got great questions to ask. Uh, Sergio will email me and he'll say, I typed these verses today. And he said, you know, like one Chronicles, you just got a list of names for like eight chapters, just name, name, name. He said, it's not boring at all. I've learned so much detail. by doing. He's, his mind is picking up typology from names. That's what happens when you read things differently, when you go to different versions, when you type the Bible. Every way that you assimilate the Bible, you will benefit from it. I was watching one of my friend's videos yesterday, and he's tearing apart a Harley. This is the third Harley he's been involved in in the past couple months, and it's not a job. He's just doing it for fun. And while he's tearing apart the Harley, he's got somebody reading the Bible to him. Man, I'm so excited about people that love the Word of God. Stay in the Word, okay? Stay in the Word. Okay, we're starting a new matzo. This is straight Passover matzos. This is from our brother Mark here. We're going to see if they're any good. If not, he's expelled from the congregation. So, they look pretty good, i got to tell you. Anyway, we'll give that a shot and we'll see how it goes. <laughs> 